Welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 32. Um, basically, about a day ago, got back from um, UK's premier metal festival, Bloodstock. Um, fortunately, Rob was away on holiday, so he won't be joining me today. I'm joined by the one of the people I went with, who is my girlfriend, Mel. Hey. Um, so, for listeners who aren't aware, Bloodstock is like the probably the biggest festival in the UK that like a proper three-day kind of weekend festival that's dedicated exclusively to metal. We have Download, which is like the massive one, but Download's got a lot of like rock and other stuff. Bloodstock is more of your kind of Vacan, Hellfest, Ozfest kind of vein. I think Ozfest is mostly metal. But anyway, but of a nice kind of small scale. It's quite a small capacity festival. It's been going for I think it was like 20 years. I started off as an indoor festival, then was like a very small, like one stage outdoor festival and has grown into this like three stage, like pretty, like actually very solidly put together weekend. And it has great lineups, which because it's not a festival that caters to one metal subgenre. It's completely across the board. You've got like your death metal, thrash metal, power metal, your traditional heavy metal, even like stuff leaning towards hard rock. So yeah, it's a really nice variation, and it's become like quite a staple of my life. I think I've been to nine out of the last eleven years of it, and I've seen it kind of evolve from being like kind of interesting, but with possibly ever so slightly lacking lineups, to being this really solid weekend where you can, if you wanted to, watch like about thirty bands over the course of it, um, and just see great stuff for that length of time. Uh, the layout of the festival is one big stage where you get your you know, your proper famous sign bands with a couple of couple of albums under the belt. Then a slightly smaller stage, which is a mixture of, like, sort of signed and unsigned bands, normally on, like, first and second album. And then there's the New Blood stage, which is bands picked up via competitions. We, we kind of covered this a bit in our previous episode on the Bristol metal scene, but picked up by those Metal of the Masses competitions. So these are bands ranging from, like, kids who have been doing it for like six months to bands who have been going three or four years and that's like that's you completely kind of unsigned 10 so the way the festival works is sort of you get opens up thursday middle of the afternoon and that's when you sort of go and set up your tent and all that and kindly they actually put a few bands on here because the festival runs through like thursday to sunday you have your big headliners and the full lineup like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but Thursday, put a couple of bands on one of the slightly smaller stages just to uh, just to warm the crowd up a bit. So we, we should say as well, we haven't seen everything that played. There was, you know, there must have been seventy odd bands playing throughout the festival. This is just going to be a short diary of like essentially everything we saw that we enjoyed. So um, yeah, we'll jump straight into it. First band we caught on the Thursday, I think a few had gone before this, was the UK. Death Metal slash Thrash Act Bloodshot Dawn. Bloodshot Dawn had been going like a little while. Um, and their set was pretty decent, but it was clear they were still messing with the sound on that stage, trying to get like a great sound of that. So the sound was a bit a bit muddy. Like I thoroughly enjoyed their set. Like they do this great mix of kind of quite thrashy, fast, to the point riffing, but then big melodic solo sections. Kind of the the arch enemy vein of of songwriting, like kind of heavy songs, but then a big break for a long ultra melodic solo. And like the solos were excellent with this band, and I think that's 
what they hinge a lot of the set on. How did you feel about these guys? I thought they were very fun. You could tell that um, the sound wasn't the sound they would have gone for if they were, were doing a studio album, but I don't think it really detracted from the set. You could tell what was going on. It, it was it was very fun to listen to. It was very fun to, to watch, and it was sort of a perfect just sort of getting you into it on a Thursday evening band, really. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's about fair. But yeah, I think I haven't got a huge amount more to add on that just because, yeah, the sound issues did kind of let it down slightly. But following them and was like the final band of that day are uh, the Russian folk metal outfit Arcona. If you've not heard of Arcona, they've been going for years and years now. I think they're on like their ninth album. Um, and they are a five piece where you've got guitar, bass, and drums, and then vocalist uh, Marsha doing a kind of mixture of screams and some kind of more chanty, clean singing, like very folky clean singing and then a final member who plays bagpipes or recorder throughout the set adding adding the the folk element texture to it uh yeah i i thought these guys were really good like they they do a lot there's a lot of variation in their sound it's very based around having like kind of catchy riffs to set up like overlaid with the lead parts being either the recorder or the bagpipes or some kind of other instruments often on a bit of a backing track but as as can be the case with some of these the backing track wasn't too overpowering for all of it where do you stand on Arcona? I, mean, I, I didn't even realize they were using a backing track to be honest um yeah I've seen Arcona before once uh, in Bristol but the it worked so much better on on the uh, slightly largest stage um I, I thought they were great. They're really interesting. They've got a sort of... They alternate quite smoothly between the more amb- ambient kind of atmospheric bits and then they have some more animated folk metal parts whereas mm. the, the screams are sort of almost black metal-like. Like, I, I was saying the screams like kind of remind me of like Obscura-era Gorguts. They're that kind of weird... There's like a low end to them but also like in the same scream. There seems to be a high pitch and a low pitch bit. It's, it's a weird sound, but yeah, I'm really a fan of Marsha's yeah, screaming. Yeah, she, she was very good, and she was a very good front person as well. Like She, she was foot getting fully into the stage show, and it, it was very sort of intense. Uh, I also thought that um, it's, 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 this is the first time I've really seen um, bagpipes used in a sort of atmospheric, kind of scary way, rather than a sort of jaunty folk metal way, which is, you know, really interesting. For... Yeah, we should definitely say these guys come down on the kind of slightly creepy end of the folk metal scale rather than the you know the the bouncy um churisas like they're closer to newer Nurunga Bunjit than they are like yeah that other kind of ale storm sound um yeah also I should mention their stage show is quite nice like they all they're all wearing these kind of very traditional looking garments and um Marsha's mic stand has a huge like I think like cow skull or something on it and on one side of it, she's got like a tambourine and another kind of like, like one of those kind of skin drum things. Yeah. And she does a lot by like bashing out rhythms on those to get the crowd going. And these this man were perfect for that kind of Thursday slot, just get people into it because songs are short and to the point. They're all quite like, you know, dancey and have like big chorusy bits. Uh, and uh, then they have the additional rhythm of her stuff led for a lot of like good clap along moments and so on. The only thing I think I'd say with it, because they have like the full, I think about an hour set, I did find there were some songs I was enjoying less than others. Like, I wouldn't say it was a flawless set. 
Yeah, there were definitely some some songs that you know some of the ambient parts perhaps lasted a bit longer than than would be optimal, but I, I thought it was very good. Yeah, it, I, I think that's the thing because with festivals we're always going to be comparing you know bands towards the end of the day that have a larger set with bands earlier on in the day that have a shorter set and can you know choose more of their sort of better material. Mm. Although they do have nine albums to choose from, yeah. so possibly it's just a case of like there's a lot of varying styles. I've only heard one Arcona album, so I don't know how much this was picking stuff from yeah albums where they did something a bit different. Right. So that closed off Thursday. Now into like into the festival proper. Friday morning, we were up pretty early, like, Bloodstock kicks off at a really good time. It's, like, about 10am, I think, uh, sort of the main arena opens up. Uh, and the first band we caught on this um, was on the New Blood stage. Uh, and this was the... I, I really struggled to work out what genre this was. A band called Turbine, uh, spelt with a Y, who were, I think, a... What it, yeah, a seven-piece, I think, with two vocalists... Guitar, bass, drums, and keyboards. And they seem to be playing this mixture of, like, thrash or, and power metal, where you have these super melodic, like, really, really well-played, like, lead guitar parts. And then two vocalists who were, like, trading off, often doing, like, massive harmonies, um, like, very clean singing, but then moving that into, like, screaming sections later. It was a very varied kind of proggy sound, like... They were just quite unique. Like, unfortunately, I only caught like the last three songs of their set. But what I saw, I really enjoyed. They're definitely one that I'll be following to see if they do anything new in the future. Like, they, I've just not seen that. And actually, some of the vocal harmonies got ridiculous because the lead guitarist even had a mic, so he had these freeway like vocal parts. But then that would go into quite heavy music. Yeah. So Turbine's quite an interesting one. Yeah, definitely. I, I re- remember really enjoying them. Um... Yeah, and it was quite nice to see bands in the New Blood stage who are who doing something different and not just sort of doing something similar to a, to a more famous band. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see bands who are like actually pushing things forward within genres. Um, in a quite a change of pace to this, we next went onto the main stage to see Onslaught, who are like the British thrash metal staple. I would like, this possibly wasn't the, I don't know, it, it was really good, but Onslaught I saw... Um, cl- have like a much longer set on one of the smaller stages a couple of years ago at Bloodstock and it's one of the best fresh metal shows I've ever seen like if you get a chance I highly recommend checking Onslaught out because I, I think they're the absolute cream of the crop when, when it comes to fra- old fresh bands still playing live and doing stuff like say like Exodus are about the only other band on similar level of just perfect quality um, if you don't know Onslaught like They've been around for, like, since the mid-80s. Um, and, like, I think had some kind of like, hardcore influence as well. And they're that kind of bracket of thrash with quite a quite a screamy singer, but someone who can also sing clean. Like, kind of um, Chuck Billy from Testament kind of thing, where he can do that stuff that's almost a proper death metal growl, but then all the way through normal clean vocals into the high-pitched, shrieky stuff. And this is all over really fast, aggressive, to the points riffing kind of very minimal solos uh and yeah they had a very good set but they were totally marred by sound problems like they started the set with um the title track of i think a 2008 album killing peace and this comes in with fast guitar riff and then everything stops and the vocalist screams uh, a line 
But when the vocalist came on stage, his mic wasn't doing anything. So everything stopped. He shouted something no one could hear. And then it picked up again, which is... Because Killing Peace would have been an absolutely crushing song to start on if it hadn't been flawed by the technical problems. But because they're early on, first proper day of the festival, still working out the sound for this stage. I mean, how, how did you find this set from I, them? I really like them. I mean, I saw them again, I can't remember whether it was two years ago or a bit longer than that. Um, they were, I think, headlining one of the days on the, the Sophie stage. Um, but because they clashed with Rob Zombie, there were a lot of people who would otherwise have been interested who, who weren't there. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think that they got a, a bigger crowd for, for this uh, for this slot, I think. Um they they're very fun. They're they're very bouncy. The the lyrics are great. They're not not like particularly deep or anything, but they're just very <laughs> fun. Um, yeah, they're, they're, like I I was really surprised when I first saw them two years ago. I think it was two years ago, uh, because I'm not you're not normally into to thrashy stuff. But they were just they've just been really enjoyable every time I've seen them. Yeah, and they've just they've they're one of those thrash bands that have been around since the early days and have aged very well. Like their albums are still super high quality say even possibly better than some of their original stuff and they do a great set which is a mixture of old and new but definitely one of those bands i like highly recommend checking out especially if you catch them on tour in terms of the weather unfortunately this is a UK festival so extreme weather conditions are always always a possibility and not long after once the set finished we were just hit by an absolutely torrential downpour which meant uh, unfortunately I think this band probably had the smallest crowd on the main stage of the entire festival uh, the band was Memoriam who are Carl Willett's ex-bolt thrower vocalist with some of the guys from Benediction doing a very much bolt thrower type sound that kind of very straightforward riff driven mid-paced death metal we only caught the second half of their set because we had to go get some more layers because the as i say the rain was pretty intense but what we saw was excellent carl willitz is a fantastic vocalist fantastic front man his band are really solid and it is 
it's not bolt thrower and it never will be, but if you can get away from that, there's some really enjoyable stuff with Memoriam. I mean, how did you find it? Again, I, I only saw the last three songs or so, um, but it was it was very good. Um, as a, I'm not hugely into sort of straight up death metal, but this was quite quite fun, and it was it was it was clearly like very competent death metal. The vocals were great. The you know the, the riffs were great. Um, I thought it was very inter- it was pretty interesting. Um, I I also don't don't know Bolt Thrower very well, so I don't have them to compare to really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I liked the small bit of the the set that I saw. So after that, we uh, moved back round to the the Sophie stage, was like the second second biggest one to see. I think it is this pronounced Godrhythm or Godfrum. Or? I would have gone with Godfrum. Godfrum, uh, spelt G O D T H R Y M, who are a very new UK doom band in the the kind of trad doom Candlemas style vein. They're a like a power trio with two vocalists. Who all sing in these? They both sing in these very, like, very booming UK accents. Like it's, it's like what you expect this genre to sound like. It's got it's got the clear Sabbath influence, but then it's also got the kind of the more Candlemassy, like stripped back rhythm section with very slow, heavy riffing. Great guitar solos, like super melodic stuff, and the two vocalists are. Yeah, voices are incredible, and the lyrics are that proper doom fodder, just epic sounding. I don't, I don't really know what they're about because I've only caught them live, but yeah, just epic sounding lyrics and epic sounding voices. For a free piece, they still sound really big, like they didn't lose anything there. And I was amazed to find out afterwards that the band only have one EP out so far, so this was like a properly professional set, but clearly they're incredibly new to it. How do you get on with? I really like them. I thought that the vocals were incredible. Um, I didn't actually know they were a three piece because I'm very short and I couldn't see the stage. <laughs> um, but but um, like as you say, it, it's not you know the sound was still full. It was still still very heavy. Um, the vocals were excellent. It, it was it was just that genre done really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be a running theme throughout it. If we're on either of the two stages, they don't have any big like TV screen showing what's going on and. Mel ha- often has no idea what the lineup of a band was if we don't get there early enough. Um, yes, yeah, so as soon after them on this stage, a complete change in pace was Sunrise Cadaver, who, as you would expect, are kind of brutal death metal, like almost slam, but not quite. Um, so they're four piece, and <laughs> yeah, their, their set was certainly interesting to look at. Um, their bass player was wearing what looked like uh, one of those Trump hats and uh, a Hawaiian shirt. Don't worry for American listeners, if someone's wearing one of the Trump hats in the UK, it's ironic as far as we're concerned. Um, yeah, not many Trump fans here. But um, yeah, so uh, so bass player, guitarist, uh, then drummer Gavin, um, who also runs Eradication Booking Agency, who are like the reason for basically most the good good small level extreme metal gigs in the south of England um, England and Wales sorry um, and then finally uh, vocalist Ollie Jones who's a bit older than the rest of the band and is mainly known as being frontman and guitarist of the Welsh death metal staple Desecration Sonomous Cadaver was I was actually really blown away by the quality of it because 
with this kind of band, they have a lot of very silly titles and so on. But the music was incredibly well played. I was absolutely amazed by the ability of the bass player. Like, the speed of stuff he was playing was... And playing fingerstyle as well, like, was absolutely mind-blowing. And working a bit of, like, slap bass in there as well. Yeah, he's just one of the fastest pick bass players I've seen in a very long time. And the guitarist was very no-frills, much like the drumming, but it was just excellently tight, perfectly executed blast beats. And, and Ollie's a great screamer, and both guitarist and bass player offering backing vocals. Yeah, it was just a really solid, extreme metal package. Should mention as well, the lyrics are fucking ridiculous from what we could tell. Um, yeah, you, you've got a few choice song titles from them. Yeah, I mean, they, as, as you say, they, um, they're all very technically competent. Uh, the frontman was, was a great vocalist and also a great frontman. He had a lot of um, fun sort of, you know, questionably politically incorrect banter, but sort of every all of the songs were just like, you know, dialed up to 11, everything crossed the line twice. I think the song titles, they, two of the songs I remember were Raped by Ebola and Bestiality Killed the Cat. Yeah, that um, would make me laugh. And I don't, I don't think... <laughs> you could take anything he was saying seriously because it was just meant to be stupid and hilarious and it was and he you know it was uh, it was going it, it was really well it was done really well um they were all very uh, technically competent it was it was just a fun set yeah yeah i think that's a good summation of it um straight after that i think we had to leave like literally the second that finished we ran back over the main stage for bloodbath and the thing is as i say bloodstock does most genres but we've seemed to find ourselves uh, on the Friday, especially the earlier half of the day, just watching death metal band after death metal band. Bloodbath, I think if you've seen them already, I think you pretty much know what to expect for us. Um, we're now at the point in the lineup where we have Nick Holmes of Paradise Lost on vocals. Um, I've seen Bloodbath quite a few times now. I think this must have been the fourth or fifth. And I've seen them a few times with Michael Ackerfeld fronting them and a few times with, with Nick fronting them now. And I have to admit, I'm always, I, I will never enjoy Nick fronting them as much as Mike. Just, I think, I think he has slightly better screen vocals, and I find his stage persona slightly more amusing. Both frontmen are quite funny, actually, yeah. between songs. Like Nick has a habit of always opening up, claiming he, claiming the band are from Sweden, and never referencing the fact he definitely isn't from Sweden. I mean, he he went on a on a, a very English trade about um about the weather or or something at one point, putting on a really um pronounced English accent shortly after saying that. <laughs> but yeah, they they're, they're still like they're still a very good show. They all come out like covered in blood, and Nick Holmes wearing his like monk robe. And, like they're they're a really interesting band to look at. They're the riffs are great. We get a full list of all the classics, like Outnumbering the Day, uh, Eaton, um, just listing ones off that particular album. <laughs> but like the full range right from their their debut Breathing Death EP all the way through to the, the latest album. And then the thing that's into a 40-minute set was really great. So you got whatever bit of Bloodbath you're into, because all albums are quite different. There was a little bit of that there for you. The performance was excellent. They just, but they're all absolute veteran musicians. You got like Opeth's drummer, two of the guys from Catatonia. Like the, you would expect nothing less from it. It was great, and it was just another great death metal band on a day of really solid death metal. 
After that, we crossed back to the Sophie stage to see yet another UK death metal band. Um, this was Deeper Fundus, who have been going for about five albums, and I got into them around their second album, Oblique Reflection, and their sounds kind of morphed over that time. They used to be very long-form doom death metal, like that particular album, most of the songs are between like eight and ten minutes, and are these very slow-building songs with really melodic sections in them. Um, I think the bass player uses a fretless bass and does a lot of almost like lead bass work in it while keeping things still quite melodic and bleak. And then then they've got a very low-pitched, but but clear and understandable vocalist. He's like, one of those vocalists you can understand every word he's screaming. They've moved from that now into a more kind of faster, more traditional death metal sound, but still with some weird elements and lots of... All the members of the band are extremely technically proficient and definitely throw a lot of that in there. How did you get on with their live sex? You quite like the uh, the album of theirs I showed you. Yeah, yeah, I, I really liked, the, liked them. I um, Again, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily describe them as, as, as conventional uh, death metal. They're, they're, they've like lost some of the sort of folkier, ambient sections from their, their earlier album. Um, was it Oblique Reflection? Yeah, yeah. Um, but also they, they still have um, lots of interesting but subtle, not like um, obvious um, sort of progressive but not like wanky pog bits yeah um, yeah and those are really interesting and they're they're more they're within the rhythm section as well as the lead section um and it's just really interesting to watch yeah yeah i, I thought it was, this is quite a good one as well because i think i saw them at bloodstock back in 2014 and they actually made references because for whatever reason that show really did not work and they actually, they even said on stage, oh, we played it in 2014 and they're having a total off day. So it was really nice to see that they actually do work really well as a live unit when when things are going their way. I don't know what happened with that previous set. And there's a lot of really good stuff with the new direction, like them tailoring in the solos a bit more and being a bit faster has definitely added a new direction. I'm not sure if I like it quite as much as the old the older stuff, but it was still really decent and... This live set did focus a lot on um, their latest album, The Blinding Light of Faith, which I think, yeah, came out earlier this year. Um, yeah, it, it was a really solid set. They're clearly excellent musicians. But yeah, it was just more death metal and a bit of a sea of it. Yes. Yeah. 
Local heroes, Body Harvest, who covered at the end of um, our Bristol scene report and rightful winners of that competition. Like, you could see watching them live, they're just an incredible outfit and destined for really great things. Body Harvest, uh, for those who didn't hear that episode, are kind of quite brutal, reasonably technical death metal with two. Two very similar, like, very low-pitched screamers. The songs are heavy, really to the point. Like, tiny amounts of guitar solo work, but not a huge amount. Um, something I really enjoyed, actually, about this this set of Bloodstock was the bass was really high in the mix. So, like, bass player Dan is really decent. It was great fun, like, getting to see his kind of... his bits shine through, because, like, previously when I'd seen them, he wasn't just, like, so clear and upfront. Drummer's a beast, like, just blast straight through this kind of half-hour set. And, like, for the New Blood stage, often clashing with some quite big bands, they absolutely pat the tent out. Like, I think this band are guaranteed for big things. Uh, this is your first time seeing them, right? Yeah, I, um, I didn't see their um, specific heat or the final of the uh, Metal to the Masses locally, so I haven't seen them before, but I was uh, right, right up next to the front um, for, for the Bloodstock show, and it was... Um, it was really, really great because, as you say, they were all very technically proficient. It was great to watch them uh, all work together fine. They're probably the most te- technically proficient band I've seen on that stage. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Like they, are, they are perfectly tight. Like it, it didn't look like a note was dropped. Um, but yeah, so well, I mean, we've already covered them at length, so we should probably move on. Um, next up came basically my reason for buying a ticket to this festival. I mean, there's been so much cool stuff, but this. It, this next set is a monumental thing. I've got to admit, I never believed I'd see. This was Emperor playing Anthem Still Welkin at Dusk, their classic second album, in full. Like, I think it was back in 2013, maybe 2014, we both went to Bloodstock and saw um, Emperor play their first, side, the first album in the Nightside Eclipse in full. It was... Final band of the day, it just gone dark, it started raining, which had cleared out anyone who wasn't desperately into this album, and it still sounds as one of the best things I've ever seen live. Like, I don't know, you felt similarly, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that, that was a couple of years ago now, that was, that was just such an incredible experience, like, in the pissing down rain, everyone with their hoods up, um, the the combination of the like the flames and, and, and the rain pouring down, and everyone who w- wasn't interested and had been talking in the back had just left and gone to their tents. Yeah, and that that was incredible. But I mean, this this show show was great, was really great too. I think I actually prefer anthems as an album. I know like pretty much everyone that has agreed with me on that. Um, <laughs> <Definitely>. I like <laughs> most of them. Um, 
I do like both of them. Um, but yeah, it was great to see it live. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that first show was just this monumental thing, like absolutely perfectly executed. The big difference between this show and that, other than obviously the set list, was the first show was with most of the original lineup. So you had uh, Faust on drums. Obviously, it was uh, Sekf Damon on bass, not Mortis, because I don't think he, he, I don't think he wants any any association with the band anymore. And um, so this time round, we had. Trim, the drummer for the last three Emperor albums, come in. And personally, I really like that as well because I do prefer Trim's drum performance. I think he's a very inventive, extreme metal drummer. And then the lineup was rounded out by Jurgen Munkeby of the Norwegian Shining, uh, saxophonist and guitarist for them, playing keyboards. So clearly, multi instrumentalist. Um, this is a bit different as well because he didn't quite have the same atmosphere because we saw them. Previously, it had been at night in the rain. I don't believe there was any kind of a mosh pit. It was very much a static crowd. Whereas this one was a few hours earlier in the day. It's all bright sunlight. There was very much mosh pitting, crowd surfing. And I think Anthems lends itself more to that. Anthems is a bit more of a mad album where they tried new, like, new and more experimental stuff. Whereas In the Night Side is very much a traditional Norwegian black metal album. Uh, and it was just so exciting to see us live because it's such a varied album. There's loads of Ishan's clean vocals in it. There's some really fancy like guitar work and like fancy work by like all the band. Uh, even like an instrumental outro. And all of this was just perfect. Everything was executed absolutely on point. There was not a note dropped. The yeah, Ishan was really charismatic. He's a Frontman of very few words, but when he says stuff, it has real weight and import. His vocals are spectacular. Like his clean singing has got better and better over the years. And like classics, like with "Strength I Burn" towards the end of the set, was just monumental when his clean vocals or his guitar solos come in. And just around the set off nicely, we got um, "I Am the Black Wizards" and "Inno Satana" off the first album to keep most of the fans happy. There was one guy next to me furious they weren't playing any of the two later albums, but... I mean, that would have been great, but I don't think we can really expect it. Yeah, I I, I was joking, because they, they'd done anthems in full the previous year as, as a tour, and I was I was joking, like, oh, the next one would be them doing Nine Equilibrium as a tour, which obviously would never happen, because most I mean, Emperor fans hate that album. But it, it, this was just incredible, that this band are absolutely perfect and they truly they, they're one of those this band reformed and it was a good idea it it has not tarnished their flawless legacy in the slightest like just pray they don't try and record something new I, I don't think I don't think they would I don't think Ishan's interested in, in, in doing in releasing anything else with Emperor um, but I, I thought the the um, the gig was great um, I was getting a little bit pummeled towards the edge of the pit I really <laughs> didn't care like if anything it just added to the atmosphere it was it was just really great it, it, yeah possibly my favourite uh, my favourite show of, of the festival yeah I, I think so it's one of those because it's so monumental like with all these other bands like as brilliant as they are I, I don't get the sense oh I might never see this again uh, and also the, none of the others are bands I've been like a fan of for you know, 15 years almost. Um, and for most of that time going, well, I'll never see us live. This is something that ended. And the fact it's still going 
or it's been re resurrected and it's still good is absolutely amazing. finished off by Judas Priest who I mean obviously always I'd always have my doubts with them with there still be a great live act because particularly say Rob Halford is getting on a bit now is it like in his late 60s is not in the best of health etc but Judas Priest is still a great live show I, I've seen him once before at Hellfest like seven years ago things about, about that and yeah Rob Halford can't hit all his highs anymore um, yeah, KK's like uh, KK Downing's long quit the band and been replaced by uh, Richie Faulkner on lead guitar. Um, but Richie is an amazing replacement. So most of this set was your the kind of bass player and drummer from Painkiller onwards. Like, uh, well, Ian Hill, the bass player, has been in the band since before Rob Halford. Then uh, uh, drummer Scott Travis has been in the band since Painkiller. So. But kind of the core rhythm section are so used to doing this. Then um, Andy Sneap, uh, super producer, was on sort of mainly rhythm guitar, filming a few of the solos. And then then you had Richie doing the lion's share of the soloing. And he's a bloody brilliant lead guitarist, full of like Yingwee Mouncey-esque flair, lots of playing the guitar vertically while on his knees. Um, they, had, they had the great like kind of stage backing of a whole kind of backdrop with curtains they could walk in and out like uh visual display going with like great short like repeating bits of footage for each song huge amounts of pyrotechnics and the music was obviously tight like you oh, yeah there's no expect expectation that this wouldn't be perfectly played but yeah it sounded great you got a set of an obvious set. There was no, there was no real surprises in there. I think it was like one slightly odd choice of song from like Stained Class, but that that was about it. I mean, this is your first time seeing Priest. What did you reckon? I really like them. I mean, weirdly enough, I, I haven't actually um, heard much Priest before, um, but 
it was really great it was clearly just kind of like the atmosphere of being in the crowd with it like everyone who so desperately wanted to be there and was having such a great time and the the like the sort of stage show was incredible music was incredibly well played i, I think uh, rob halford's vocals are still still hold up really well it was just just a great show. With that, which is probably the one slightly controversial thing with Rob House's vocals is, I'm pretty sure, and I, like, it's it's hard to tell, but I think some of his high vocals are also on a backing track. He he sings with them very well if they are. Like, yeah, it, it, it works perfectly well as part of the show. <laughs> it doesn't spoil the live show, and like Rob Halford's clearly, yeah, clearly sort of struggling a bit more these days. He's quite doddery on stage and like whereas you got to say it's sort of Richie and Andy Sneap are running around and doing stuff he's very much like petering about between things I but think he still looks very cool he does still look super cool and like when you get to Hellbent for Leather still rides on on the motorbike with in his leathers riding crop in mouth and it's we, we just come to expect this like it's the same show they've pretty much been doing for the last god knows how many years but it's still absolutely great and um, so I've, Andy Sneep's been standing in because I don't think Glenn Tipton can really, like, just can't get through a whole live set anymore. But for the encore, they brought out Glenn Tipton to, for, like, about five songs. And he was amazing for all of that. His solo sounded perfect. And it was really nice to see he could still be part of the live show, even if he couldn't do the full run of it. Yeah, it's just... It's exactly what you'd expect from, but it's still really good. Like, they're still really worth seeing, and it was a brilliant end to the day. Which, yeah, brings us to the second day of the festival, well, second day proper festival. Um, yeah, so a bit of a move away from uh, it all being death metal, but first band of the day were the really poorly named but brilliant band Nailed to Obscurity. Nailed to Obscurity, I'd never heard of prior to seeing them that morning. Uh, they're a German kind of, I'd describe as like sort of death doom with like almost Agaloc esque leady sections. So they've got, they're five piece, two guitars, bass, drums, vocalist. The vocalist does these very drawn out, long, actually kind of like Deep Profundist style, clear, low growls, but also mixes in a little bit of clean vocals and to more build the Agaloc comparison, some kind of sections where he's sort of whispering phrases over the music the the songs are these kind of slow burn eight minute builds but with a real good emotional punch to them like yeah so you were completely new to these guys as well yeah i was really surprised actually uh, as you say the their name hinted to me that they would be a completely different genre so i wasn't expecting this from them and as sort of like the first band on the saturday it was just incredible to be to be just be blown away by something you really weren't expecting um they they were really good the the music was really original really interesting um and we bought the album and listened to it on the way back it was that it was that good yeah yeah i think we spent a huge like as the group of us who were there i think spent a huge amount on this band on merch just because this show was for a band opening a stage was absolutely as much as you could expect it was really very impressive the band had a lot of presence i think probably helped by having absolutely amazing hair. Like, look at a band photo. These guys all have amazing hair. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like the album uh, King Delusion, the 2017 release, I've only listened to once through so far. But it's brilliant. It's really... Re- if you want some melodic death doom, 
and this is exactly what you should be going for, I think. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear more from this guy. to or a band I've um, been meaning to check out for a while like I think a lot of people are very very into their previous their, their album that just came out in 2017 this is the Texas based band Power Trip um, so they were on the main stage quite early on actually I would have thought they'd be a bit more bumped up the lineup but you could see this band's like their legend is clearly spread because the entire festival turned up for this set and it was just like 40 minutes of absolutely bludgeoning thrash metal. I kind of say, if you're not aware of them, it's kind of in the municipal waste kind of vein of thrash, like kind of tinged with hardcore, but not quite silly. It's a bit more aggressive and political. Like, there's almost like a slight kind of, I'd say almost like grind influence of that very politics heavy um, kind of lyrical fodder. And they just got the crowd going in, in like ways no one else up to this point had. The mosh pit looked terrifying. A friend of ours, um, who is a very solidly built man, had to come out of the pot pit because he almost passed out. Like, and at one point we saw up on one of the monitors, like we were right at the back for this because obviously I didn't know the band well enough, so didn't want to get get into the maelstrom. Uh, um, but yeah, we saw a wall of death open up later towards the end of the set. And it was terrifying. Like, it was absolutely spectacular. 
and musically really competent, really tight. The singer is a great kind of really angry, aggressive presence on stage. And just, yeah, it was just brilliantly executed. The sound was great. I think, like, a lot of people were saying this was their absolute band of the festival. And I think had I known them better, this certainly would have been up there as one of the ones that really impressed me. Have you, like, as you said earlier, really, big on Fresh? I really, uh, I enjoyed the show. Again, as I say, as you said, it's not... Um, it's not a genre I really know anything about. I'd never heard the band before. Um, they were they they were really decent, um, but as you say, they would probably be great if I'd have heard them beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I definitely need to give uh, Nightmare Logic some time. But yeah, it, it was very impressive live. After that, we went back over to the uh, the Sophie stage uh, for Weight of the Tide, who are um, kind of a sort of sludge band, but in the slightly more melodic vein of sludge is like not so much your acid bath kind of horror under it more of the kind of doomy uh catchy end of it and they they were solid but just not incredible like uh, i'd say i i enjoyed it while i was there they're four piece with two vocalists who were like mostly clean vocal stuff there was some good riffs um like and they they played very tightly but i did just find like I don't really remember it all that well now. Like, I don't know. How did you get on with these guys? I Again, as you say, I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, and I remember liking it, but I don't remember what it was, what it sounded like. Hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe I just, just need to, to give, it, uh, give it more time. Maybe check check out their studio stuff. Um, because I just don't really remember them yeah. that well, so I can't really comment. It certainly wasn't that bad. And I remember their, polite, their front man being like, very friendly and polite. And yeah, just... They, it's only cool or just yeah, just didn't leave as much of an impression. I mean, we were very tired from the previous day as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that might have added to it. Following that, we went back to the main stage for Septic Flesh, who, if you don't know them, they're like an orchestral death metal band. So their last like four albums, they've recorded like essentially a death metal album and a whole live orchestra recording and layered these two together into this really epic atmospheric death metal problem with septic flesh live is a lot of what they do is on the backing track so i've seen them before and i've like i think communion um they're like 2008 2009 album is an absolute masterpiece i absolutely love it but i've never really liked their live show they've got some cool stuff going for going on with it like they all wear these amazing leather costumes like the singers dressed up like dracula from bram stoker's dracula uh the film that is um, but the, so studio wise, they have a clean vocalist who sings a lot of the choruses, who doesn't tour with them. So all his cleans are on a backing track. Um, the, the main screen vocalist also plays bass, but doesn't really play it. Sort of, he mainly seems to be holding it at various different positions and occasionally when he feels like it hitting a note on it. He, he was spending a lot of the time pointing at people in the audience, getting, getting the audience riled up, you know. <laughs> he, he's a very good frontman. I just don't know why he still needs the bass. It feels like almost there should be a separate bass player. So, yeah, I enjoyed the set more than when I last saw them, but I still think it, it falls a bit flat. It's a similar problem to what I have with Dimmy Borger these days. Where I just think there's a bit too much on the backing track, and it just having clean vocal, like, main lead choruses on the backing track I find really jarring, particularly for, say, a track like Anubis from Communion, where it's the big singy chorus, and then the bass player, like, try and scream through it, and 
it doesn't quite fit. And the performance was very proficient. I mean, how did you get on with it? Um, I like them, um, and I, I've heard one of, one of their studio albums before, quite a few years ago now, and I really like that. Um, but as you say, a lot of it, it, it it's very different from the studio performance. It has to be because obviously they can't take the orchestra with them, so they are limited to, to using a backing track. Um, I really enjoyed it. It, it was it was fun. Um, I recognised some of the songs, um, and I had actually had some of the songs stuck in my head for a couple of days, but. Again, so much of it was was not being played live that it. I think it, it does lose something compared to the studio album for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd really recommend checking out the studio stuff because it's great. Yeah, particularly uh, Titan and Communion. Um, yeah, after that, we saw the band that were the biggest crush on the second stage. Like the tent was absolutely full for this. So you know, say second biggest crush on that stage of the festival. This is the rising stars of. UK sludge conjurer who then their album Meyer has just come out this year and is just a really solid like extreme heavy album and this translates more than well to live the the band is made up of two guitarists bass player and drummer and both the guitarists do these kind of very brutal like almost hardcore influenced scream vocals this this set was just like I can really tell you what happened in it almost. It was just this extremely atmospheric sludge. It just had this total crushing weight to it. It was super aggressive. It was uh, yeah, just really apocalyptic. The band were incredibly active on stage while while doing this. Like the bass player was jumping all over the place, and it just all kind of added up to be this really terrifying kind of sound just really powerful but I just remember I just have an emotional memory of that I can't really tell you what happened I just remember it it was big and scary how did you find these guys I loved it I couldn't get in right at the start because as you say the tent was pretty full but I managed to sort of work my way in and um find a sort of far corner of the tent where a bunch of people were, were sitting down um and it, yeah it was it was just the music was so atmospheric that I kind of sat down and I was just kind of just so like interested, I just so sort of into it, and I had my eyes closed. And then I woke up three tracks later and was aware that I would like almost fallen asleep, just kind of like focusing on on the sound. It was incredible. Um, but yeah, that it, it was really great. Um, I haven't heard their album yet, but I would like to, mm. and I will if I remember to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I think Maya is an album we're going to hear a lot more about in these end of year lists and so on. A complete change of pace to that. Uh, for, like a couple of bands later on that stage, we had uh, Forest of Stars, who are another UK band. Like these guys are very atmospheric progressive black metal. There's seven of them in the band. Like so, you got your kind of two guitars, bass, and drums, vocalist, then a violinist who she also provides clean vocals, and then a keyboard player, and. This band were a hard sell. This kind of music is always a hard sell for for live, especially live in a festival setting where the songs are incredibly slow burns. Of like, like the whole set was started with the violinist just like singing clean vocals over a tiny bit of keyboards that eventually build up, and they they would build up into more blasting tremolo picked death metal uh, black metal sections. Um, but it was all very slow and calm like the band were all suited and stood very still for a lot of it like staring off into the middle distance the vocal the, the screen vocalist in particular 
didn't have a lot to do for quite a lot of the set and was just very kind of statue like statue like for the all the parts where he wasn't screaming. You said you really enjoyed these guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm always really surprised by by what's popular um, at at, um, at festivals because as you say, like um, people at least initially didn't seem to quite get what they were doing. Whereas I thought like coming in with a sort of almost a cappella like clean vocals and they did a lot of of not just vocal harmonies but almost sort of um, vocal patterns sort of overlaid on top of each other. Um, and yeah, there were a lot of a lot of interesting different um instrumental bits but it didn't sound jarring at all it all worked really well together the the transitions and the build-ups were really well i think this is just a genre i really like it was done really well and it was it, it was really difficult it, it strikes me as something that would be really difficult to do live mm. um and i thought it was really impressive um i did attempt to buy merch but it had already sold out by the time i got there um <laughs> Which I guess lots of people must have loved them then. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I I really liked them. I thought they were great. If they play again, I'll definitely go and see them. Yeah, which brings us on to the band I'm going to find hardest to describe <laughs> of the entire festival. Uh, this was this set was it, like possibly one of the most immensely fun, kind of silly, bombastic things I've seen in a long time. This is the Australian prog metal band Voyager, who uh, I've never heard of before, but apparently been around for quite a while. Like they've got six albums out. They, yeah, when I say prog metal, it's very much in that it's prog because it's nothing else. They were a mixture of like kind of math, rocky, gent kind of stuff. But then they had like kind of bouncy synth parts, like um, reminiscent of, say, some of the more recent Haken stuff. Um, and yeah, and then just some like, then some like kind of very brief death metal moments some stuff that you would just won't truly be rock, but mixed all together into these very tight, like normally about four minute long songs. It was all played on those seven string guitars, getting that really modern, like really heavy low string sound, like, you know, the kind of Tesseract uh, kind of sound I'm talking about. Um, what the band I'm thinking of? Periphery. Yeah, they're the other one. Like, they got that kind of periphery kind of chug, but the, this is less chugging parts and a bit more riffy than that kind of style. And then a very clean vocalist who, like, occasionally will drop into some screams. And, like, a backing... I think the bass player also does some backing vocals. So there are five piece, two guitars, bass player, drummer, and the vocalist who also has, like, a key... a key tar off to the edge of stage, which he doesn't use for most of the set. But, like, occasionally will add elements in... And this band, I've never seen someone so, like, a group so active on stage. They were jumping around like crazy for the entire set. The two guitarists had all these ridiculous synchronised dance moves. Like, and it made particularly funny by one of them being quite a short woman and the other being a very tall man. But they would do these synchronised, like, spinning jumps or random kicks. And it was it was immensely stupid, but also immensely fun. How did you get on with this? I really liked it, and I like it more the more I think about it retrospectively. Um, it's really hard to do happy music that works and doesn't just ch- sound cheesy and silly and jokey. And it, mm. it, it's one of the few times I've heard that. Um, it worked, yeah. It worked really well. The band were obviously really into it. They were really enthusiastic. Um, the music was was simultaneously fun and ambient. Yeah. Um, 
and as you say, I, I really struggled to describe it. Like watching it, I was like, well, what, what, what genre is this? Like, is gent pop a thing? I, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It was, yeah, they, they, they were very unique and they're definitely really worth checking out because they're really hard to describe. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's one I, I can't really sum. I, the main thing I can give you is just to give you like a few moments of the set. Like, for example, there's one point where the female guitarist started doing this really shreddy solo and went down on her knees, like like leaning into the audience doing it. And then the singer pulled out his guitar and was diving next to her, like started harmonising this crazy solo. Um, yeah, it was just all really stupid and so funny cool. and... But but also kind of serious, like it, it's not a joke, but it no, was so it's, funny. It was it's funny, happy and fun without almost without being humorous, which is really rare, um, or at least is really rare in the music that I've listened to because I tend to find like a lot of happy stuff comes across as somewhat obnoxious. Yeah, and they, yeah. these guys didn't at all. Um, and also, they they went through uh, they did a, a sort of almost like a 90s disco cover interlude between two parts of the same songs at one point. Yeah, yeah. And that somehow worked. And I don't know how it worked, but it did. And it, it, it was just really, really great to, to listen to. It was really different, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, a very strange set. announcement because with the dead uh had to pull out the festival and so they quickly got andrew o'neill comedian who i think we talked about before um yeah i mentioned his book on our books episode who is a very in his own right an absolutely brilliant comedian whose whose work is incredibly eclectic and yeah does a lot of different styles of comedy all mixed into one one act um 
but Andrew O'Neill really knows his metal. Like, he, he has incredible taste in metal. And because he was up on stage performing to a Bloodstock audience, he could totally play to the crowd and make obscure metal reference jokes that were really solid in their own merit, mixed in with his, uh, like, his other, like, other kind of stuff that is all just a bit over, all over the place. Like, this wasn't a coherent set by any means. It was a lot of... I don't of... think he really does that. He does surreal a series of surreal short jokes for the most part. Yeah, yeah. But th- this was just really hilarious and a lovely break to the day. Like, in previous years, we've seen his History of Heavy Metal show, which is actually currently being crowdfunded for a DVD. It's an amazing show, like a comic show, which accurately charts the history of where heavy music came from into the present day. So, if yeah, if for like uh, listeners overseas, highly worth getting behind that DVD because it is gonna like it's a really good show. And if you like your metal, it's very uh, it covers the subject matter really well and is really respectful to it while still taking the piss and poking fun at it. Like a lot of his set was like that. I'm not gonna spoil any jokes because you might see them live. Like, but and so to to kind of round out the set. He, he, this is absolutely ridiculous, but was so fun. Uh, he got the audience to start a mosh pit to uh, us all humming Slayer's Raining Blood. Like, he, he did the sort of counting for it, and then everyone started, started singing along and got a massive circle pit going for it. It was quite a weird experience. First acapella mosh pit I've ever been in. Yeah, yeah that was really funny. I mean, I've seen Andrew O'Neill quite a few times now, uh, and he's always been really funny. Um, if anyone's in the UK, he's on tour at the moment or about to go on tour. So yeah, it's yeah. worth catching if he's coming to a city near you because it's really funny. Um, and that was just a really great show. Uh, and an, an impromptu show as well. Like it wasn't something he prepared. He was just filling in because he happened to be there DJing, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And filled half an hour. No problem. On from that, we uh, we saw Cannibal Corpse. Um, Cannibal Corpse at this point are a universal constant. Like they... All their albums are more or less in the same genre. Um, they're all pretty solid, I'd say. I, I, I can't think of a bad Cannibal Corpse album. And Cannibal Corpse's live show is pretty much exactly the same every time. Like, down to Corpse Grinders uh, stage banter is pretty much the same every time. But it's always bloody perfect. The guys play so well, like... Alex Webster's bass playing is utterly amazing. Um, Guitarist Pat O'Brien's solos always blow my mind, and seeing him on the big screen up close was crazy. They got a real massive mosh pit going for most of the set. The, it was only really marred by, much like Memoriam the previous day, straight up death metal on the main stage was doomed by extreme weather conditions. Because the rain came down in such force during this set, it couldn't help but sort of take the edge off it. But it's Cannibal Corpse. You know what you're getting with a Cannibal Corpse show. It's still really brilliant, and it's so great. These guys are still, like, you know, well into their 50s, churning out death metal of this quality. Um, Yeah, the only interesting thing is guitarist Rob Barrett is slowly resembling Willie Nelson. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah I, I'd say, I really enjoyed this set it was just a shame it got totally rained out uh, which resulted in me missing the next band but you managed to catch these guys yeah um, X Order um, were um, something of a surprise because I hadn't planned to see them they were sort of 
thrash with sort of southern rock style vocals. Um, I managed to run from the rain into the tent uh, of the second stage um, and I managed to catch pretty much the whole set. Um, and it was really good because it's I'm not generally into thrash that much and I'm not generally into the sort of southern rock inspired metal very much but it was really fun it was really heartfelt um, and it was really competently done um, mm. and I, I, I really enjoyed it um, even though it's not something that I, that I would normally listen to uh, in the studio yeah if you don't know a mech sword or the band famed for getting Pantera out of spandex their <laughs> their albums are the ones that inspired that change in Pantera's sound and created that whole massive subgenre. So I missed that, but got back in time for the main stage headlines of the day, Gojira. And Gojira, another one, are going to be up there as people's probably favourite band of the festival. Like, so I've seen them at Bloodstock a few times, and it's been really interesting, and they've slowly worked their way up the lineup. Like, uh, last time we saw them, they were before Mastodon, uh, and Mastodon were in this kind of uh, headlining slot. And it's amazing watching how their sets morphed into something that really fits end of the day, um, like that big long hour and a half slot. Uh, they had amazing uh, videos throughout the sets, um, like great pyrotechnics display. There's one really interesting bit actually where the, the kind of video was like a film of mist over a mountain and a load of pyrotechnics had gone off and there was loads of smoke in the air and you couldn't tell where the mist began and the smoke started, which gave it this really ethereal atmosphere. They've done really clever stuff as well between, like, I mean, I'm just assuming here you all know what Gojira sound like, but between their songs, they've written little instrumental transitional parts to pull together a live set. Like, the drummer was doing all, like, got a drum solo, and but that was, like, overlaid with some atmospheric noises and so on, and songs were just so neatly woven together. The set felt really coherent. It's Gojira, so as you can imagine, the performances are perfect. The drummer is a powerhouse. The rest of the band are ridiculously tight. Um, the bass player is always really fun to watch. Like he looks, I've never seen people look quite that into the music. And uh, vocalist Joe's like vocal performance is as ever like well, it, as not as ever. Like he's got a lot better at doing that live. Like. His ability to do the clean vocals, which are coming more and more on the later albums, is getting really solid. Whereas if you watch some older videos, say like a track like Heaviest Matter in the Universe, where he harmonises with his guitar, he used to really struggle with that. But when I saw him on Saturday, absolutely perfect. Uh, yeah, how did you get on with Gojira? Yeah, I, I, li- I really like them. and I, I was surprised by the extent to which I like them because they've sort of grown on me uh, over the years. Like I, I initially... Um, really liked some some of their parts and found some of the their parts had too many abrupt transitions um especially in, in some of the older albums mm. um but they've they, they don't really do that anymore like as you're saying they've smoothed everything over everything kind of you don't ever get zoned out of the sort of ambience they create mm. um and i thought that was really incredible um i like the as you say the the sort of stage effect uh, you know the 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 way that they sort of t- um yeah, generated I, th- I think they generated the smoke sort of purposely and yeah that had sort of been almost fusing with the smoke in the image at the back and they had um you know they they, they were um had, had the sort of smoke uh, plume as if it was like a sort of wave 
and the audience were all were all like throwing uh, inflatable <laughs> whales at it. Yeah, so we were quite far back for this, which is quite nice because you get to like when a band's got really good visuals like that, you can really soak them up from a distance. But the really the really amazing thing was the audience had hundreds of giant inflatable whales, I assume brought by audience members, that were bouncing all over the crowd. Um, particularly in the song Flying Whales um, which they played with a full intro which I've never seen them do before they normally cut the intro off but actually I think the intro really led into that whole thing of it sounding really atmospheric and we had a great there was a great mix of stuff in their set so we had like older classics like Backbone and Flying Whales and then we were like right up to like all the singles off the new album were in there as well and yeah it just mixed really well and I I think Gojo have really grown into a band who deserve headlining slots, and it's nice to see their you know their transition over yeah. the last ten years oh, or so. Was, it was just really incredible. Like the the atmosphere was, it, you know, it was a long uh, long set, and the atmosphere didn't drop, mm. which I thought was incredible. So after that, we ran across to see the headliner of the second stage, um, a band like. I've been quite into for a while, like particularly certain albums of theirs. Uh, all the way from Israel, we had Orphan Land. Um, and we managed to get right down to the barrier for this one. And they did not disappoint. If you're if you're not familiar with Orphan Land, Orphan Land play kind of quite a varied style. Their music's moved from like very melodic folk influence death metal through into more power metal-y with folk influence territory. Um... And they played a lovely mix of their latest four albums, which is like Mabul, their third album, all the way through to um, Unsung Prophets and Dead Messiahs, the very recent release. Um, the band's a five-piece vocalist, two guitarists, bass player and drummer, with some stuff on the backing track, but for whatever reason, versus say something like Septic Flesh, I felt this worked so much better. They, the two seemed so much more integrated sound-wise. Like you're you're a big fan of Orphan Land, particularly the Mabul album. How do you get on with this? Yeah, I mean, I, I got right to the front. Well, you did. You were just behind me as well, <laughs> um, and I I really liked it. Like it, before before they played, I, I was worried. Oh, what what if they you know what if they play too much of their power metal stuff? Whereas I tend to prefer their older like um, their older more like progressive death metal stuff. Um, and also, as I uh, after the Septic Flush, I was also worried about the the prospect of too much being on the backing track. But actually. He worked really well uh, with it. Like Kobe, uh, the the vocalist, managed to um, sing over the um, um, single growl over over the um, backing track, um, such that you didn't really notice it was there for the mm. most part. It was only when when that sort of clean female vocal vocals came in, and that that was only for two songs. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that you really noticed there was a backing track there at all, uh, vocally. Um, and it was great because they played uh, they played a lot of. Uh, their older stuff they played stuff from uh, Mabul and All Warrior as well uh, which I wasn't expecting because they've gone in a much more sort of power metal rock direction more recently so it was really nice to hear the old stuff which is yeah. what I what I really like from them really and also the new stuff sounds incredible you know the bass playing in particular is wonderful it's yeah, really the, interesting the bass was really up in the mix so you could really hear Yuri and Yuri's like a very like very good blues influenced bass player who has like a lot of interesting lines underneath a lot of the songs and him being right up in there in the mix really helped the sound was absolutely perfect for this set and like some of their older stuff particularly like Birth of the Free or um, Ocean Land 
really felt aggressive and heavy because they had tracks that more focus on the screams. Um, vocalist Kobe is an amazing front man. He's, he's there in his long kind of Jesus type robe, very much looking like having on purpose, looking like Jesus, like, and his his vocal performance, both clean and screamed, was incredible. But also his performance as a frontman was amazing. Like this was such an audience participation set where the crowd have like he keep constantly get the crowd to clap along, but in like often quite complex rhythms, particularly on um, the title track of All Is One. Um, yeah, there was a really quick clapping beat you got the audience to do, but like between him and the drummer, there was enough instruction and kind of leading that the audience always felt really there with it and then um we got stuff like uh when they played the final track from all warrior the name of which has suddenly escaped for me um they got the audience to sing along this really complex vocal melody that lasts for about 10 20 seconds and the audience was really nicely singing along with this and i think it's something that also helped drown out the backing track was getting the audience to do so much like additional sounds really worked and you could just tell the audience was super into this. Yeah, I mean, Orphan Land are always a very heavily uh, audience participation type gig. Um, but it, it was really great. Like, uh, we were right on the front row and, and I, I walked with a cane and there was a bloke next to me in a wheelchair and we still, meant, like, they still got us involved. We, we, we were, you know, we were, like, clapping along and everything. Mm. It, it was just, it, it's a gig where everyone you sort of like feel like everyone is there with you and on board with you and you're all like a big family really it's very much kind of like you know that that kind of feel well because their message particularly with their later albums is very much this peace through mutual love of music and so on which is it is a message that's super easy to get behind and you know like sort of a, <laughs> like he the kobe jokes at one point it's like you in this country really hate your government. You have no idea what that's like in the Middle East. We hate our governments ten times as much. Like, and it, it was just this really, you know, it was really nice the way they kind of discussed the politics and so on. Like, Orphanland are a fantastic band. We certainly want to cover some of this stuff on the podcast, like in more detail um, in the future, because I think the the combination of the kind of Israeli folk. Um, and their political message, and then just very competent metal songwriting, is a fantastically unique concept. Um, and it really came across well live. The guitar playing was excellent. Lots of really good manu- like moves between like heavy distortion based metal guitaring into very clean tone, like folky sounding bits. The, like Orphan Land are a band that had a huge amount of dynamics going on. And a lot of it's helped by Kobe being able to switch between vocal styles so easily. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like their show is something you absolutely have to see. It's such an uplifting, wonderful experience. Like it was really a great way to close out the day. The 
So unfortunately, due to work commitments, I had to leave early on Sunday, which meant I had to miss a couple of bands I did quite want to see, like uh, including At the Gates and Watain. But we managed to hang around and catch um, catch five bands early on in the day. We a nice, interesting variety. So they started with um, well, the first band we caught that day was Evergrey, who are a progressive metal band from Sweden, who up to this point I've been near enough completely unaware of, and actually caught me by surprise because. Prog power metal is something I can occasionally get quite into, but mostly it's not a genre I'm huge on. And I was surprised by the kind of, the lack of cheese in this set, for want of a better kind of descriptor. Like, it was progressive power metal, but with very emotive vocals and lyrics, um, quite heavy in places, like some really fast like double kick work and chuggy guitars but then giving way to some very melodic sections but the melodic sections had atmosphere and great lead work without ever descending over into truly cheesy despite being you know that classic prog metal power like prog power metal five-piece lineup of keyboards guitars bass and vocals which can often like the the use of keyboards in those bands can often drive them over into the slightly silly category. And I don't think uh, Evergrey really did that. How, how did you get on with them? Yeah, they, they, they were very good. Um, they're one of the heavier power metal bands I've seen. Uh, they, they had sort of a very, very sort of almost dismal atmosphere, um, even with the mm. sort of traditional power metal clean vocals which is an unusual combination and it was, it was really interesting to see because the the um the instrumental work was really interesting as well yeah yeah like the absolutely excellent guitar solos yeah definitely a band I, I need to go and explore a bit more um after them we moved off to the Sophie stage to see the newish uk band king leviathan who were another band where i don't know what genre this was it kind of felt like Death metal with like a little bit of like a metalcore kind of influence in places, but with a lot of clean vocals, but like kind of almost slightly doomy clean singing. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, then like a lot of screams mixed in as well. There are four piece with two guitarists, bass and drums, and one of the guitarists doing the like, lion's share of the vocals. And they had a lot of presence, and I really liked that they had quite a lot of um, variation in their songs. They would move, you'd get these really fast, like tremolo picking over, like blast beat sections, but then some more melodic, um, like leady sections, and often like the clean vocals were in places you wouldn't expect them, like you'd get clean vocals over one of the really blasting sections, but then screams over one of the more slow, drawn out bits. They're really impressive, and I, I like. I felt the singer was very much going for like a similar vibe to Converge's singer, like stage presence wise. Lots of like very angsty, like uh, self hating aggression. Problem was because he's holding a guitar for the whole set, he can't quite do as much as he wants. But did at the end of the set, chuck the guitar on the floor and leap into the crowd with a microphone, screaming, and it was. I, a lot of this was really impressive, and it really got the crowd going. Like, they had a good mosh pit throughout. Uh, you saying you weren't quite as into this one. I wasn't at first. Um, this sort of very blast-beaty kind of death metal, and then the sort of backing vocals were, were sort of slightly metalcore as you say. Meant that initially I was like, oh, this isn't going to be my genre, I'm not going to get it. Uh, but it was actually far more interesting than that. Uh, the front man was really uh, passionate. He like he, he seemed to really care about what he was doing. He was really good at getting people on board. The drumming was incredible. It was really interesting. Yeah, really yeah. Varied. Um, I, it, it was it was really good. And as you say, it's hard to describe what it was because it's it's not what you initially expected it to be. Um, yeah, I, I ended up really liking it. Hmm. Uh, after that, we saw on the same stage the band who got the most packed crowd of this stage I think for the whole festival um, this is a, a band if you haven't heard of yet I'm sure you're going to hear more about soon this is the New Zealand based band Alien Weaponry who are three incredibly young uh, kids from New Zealand who have been going for quite a few years but apparently started the band when the singer was 8 um, I think he, yeah, I think he's now 16 Um and they do a mixture of kind of thrash metal, but using some kind of like Maori chanting um, as, as like the vocals for it. And all three, so it's a three piece bass, guitar and drums. All three of them do some vocals, like often adding these Maori chants. And then you've got the lead guitarist does most the vocals for the set. Um, so <laughs> this was... I don't think I've ever been rooting for a band quite so much. They were cl- this set, this stage seemed to be having massive technical issues that would continue for everything else we saw on it. But they, they, they were clearly getting extremely stressed out, like between the sound guys and the band members setting up on stage, and the crowd. While all this was going on, the crowd had absolutely packed this thing, and so everyone was staring at them trying to get their bits of equipment worked. And when they're kind of, when the samples started playing for their like intro music, the the members of the band well and truly looked like rabbits in the headlights of just like because they clearly been put out of sorts by things not working till the last second, and they looked so terrified. And I was like really praying they weren't going to have a total meltdown on and they like, went the set straight be. into it though. Like yep. as soon as it started, they just sort of like went into their stage characters, you know their stage personas and just went for it and they didn't show any any signs if they were nervous at that point they didn't show any signs of it at all 
Yeah, and uh, like, there was lots of great like stage bands. It was some of the politest. Well, the politest asking for a mosh pit I've ever seen until a band we will cover in a few minutes. Um, and, and like the, the the band had a lot of presence. Um, they played their songs very well. Like I think like they've got a really good element, which is the including Maori chanting with thrash metal. Like those those chants sound incredible over thrash riffs. Um, and like they got a great message of you know like it's such a good subject to be angry about like the treatment of the Maoris in New Zealand history is appalling like and you've got so much cool stuff to work from there. The problem I had with them is this is very uh, the like the riffing is very jump the fuck up Max Cavalera Soulfly riffing it and the performance is fine but the kids playing it like so it's not massively technical. Like, there's a lot of charm to it, and there's some really interesting ideas on display, but I've got to admit, the songs where they lean, like, where they don't do the chanting, there's a lot where he leans more towards, like, slightly clean vocal, metalcore choruses, I didn't get at all. There was quite a few songs in this set I just didn't get. But the audience fucking loved it, so I'm clearly in the minority. Like, you you were a lot more into it than me, right? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I thought it was it was very fun, but, again, as you say, like, he was fun whilst being whilst not being silly or like well sort of discussing serious subject matter and i i think the the maori chant like the maori language works really well for sort of shouted kind of thrash mm. vocals um i they, they, they've they've clearly done a lot of research and they know a lot of the history and it, it's a really interesting lyrical theme to uh to to, to focus on um and i i like it's not particularly technical music, and it's not normally my genre, but I, I, I thought it was really fun to see live, and in a crowd that was so into it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that, we um, take another band. There was a lot of bands who travelled a long way this day. Um, we saw a band who had previously written off from checking out beforehand, a band called Underside from Nepal, who I'd say play some variant of kind of like metalcore meets like more traditional heavy metal. Um, but we walked into the tent like before while they're setting up, and we're instantly taken in by. I don't know if she's actually a member of the band officially. She might just be a live musician. But they had this bass player setting up with a five-string bass. She was wearing like four-inch high heels. Um, I had her hair done amazingly. And was wearing a tiara. But like while they were trying to get the sound together because they're starting issues getting the guitar sounding right, that she was just warming up on bass, and she's a genius. Like, she was just doing this, like, melodic shredding, like, going all over the bass, like, switching between slapping, tapping, and it, it was this great show, just watching someone warm up. I was really enjoying that. But then we got to the, the, the band, like, when they finally got ready, playing proper, she was joined by two guitarists playing these, like, that kind of tiny style of seven-string headless guitar, uh, both decorated in really fancy patterns, uh, just a, like a drummer who was very technically competent and a kind of your very shouty metalcore vocalist. And I thought it was really good. They had like great stage presence. Um, they were technically massively competent, really good solos. Um, the bass player, although not quite as crazed as they seemed like they could be in the... Uh, um, they, in their warm up, were still doing some really interesting stuff, like in a lot of the kind of uh, more simple moments of the songs. Like, yeah, I just thought it was a very good set. Like, mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was very surprised because I, I, I did um, look them up briefly beforehand and I, I was like, well, this is a metalcore band, I'm not into metalcore. I probably probably wouldn't have any interest in checking them out. But actually, they've got a, a lot of other influences and it, it's much more interesting to me, at least, than, than the majority of metalcore is. Mm. Um, they they brought two um two like traditional well presumably traditional Nepalese dancers with them who had like um incense burners and and like uh, traditional tribal masks and were doing like a, a fun dance around the stage. Yeah, so they're both wearing like these long robes and these giant like skull heads with long hair, kind of look like Grim Fandango characters. Um, but yeah, we were, we were for like certain songs doing these mad dances around the musicians. So like this this stage had just like always had something to look at. I, it's, it's something I'm probably never gonna check out the music studio-wise, but as a live show, it was very really impressive. impressive. Just watching this sort of bass player there, like, dressed in a sort of almost carnival-esque outfit, uh, like, with, with, like, lime green platform heels, <laughs> chewing gum, and just, like, tapping incredibly while... It, it was just sort of surreal, really, but... Yeah. It, 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 worked, it worked so well, and it, it added... added a sort of progressive kind of element to to a genre that I'm otherwise not hugely into. Um, but I think that the the sort of the, the, the sort of technicality and sort of slight progressiveness of the instruments made this sort of like really uh, different from a sort of generic metalcore mm. gig. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the real unexpected surprise like like really happy surprise of the festival. <laughs> so unfortunately final band we actually had time to catch were Demonic Resurrection from India, who played uh, a bit after Underside. Um, and Demonic Resurrection, I've been a fan of for quite a while now, since uh, their, their um, return, the Return to Darkness came out. Uh, Demonic Resurrection plays kind of melodic death metal meets that kind of like synthy black metal. So um, their, their lineup on the studio arms is normally like vocalist and guitarist Demon Steeler, another guitarist, bass player, drummer. And then, like, I think Demon Seer plays, like, a load of keyboards that go over the top of this. For the purposes of this tour, uh, only Demon Stealer and Virenda, the drummer, were able to make it from India. And their lineup was filled out by a guitarist from Deep Profundus and bass player from Deep Profundus. Um, all the keyboards were on the backing track, but again, this much like Orphan Land, this was a band where the backing track fitted absolutely perfectly. Uh, like, jumping into that, it was brilliant like it was absolutely amazing like the playing was perfect they were melodic and yet they sounded so much heavier than their studio arms sounded like i found it really intense demon steel is an excellent front man he's like screams and clean vocals both sounded brilliant on this um yeah the, the drummer is excellent like it was just a really heavy set and like one of the best uh, monolithic death metal bands I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I um, I thought they were incredibly heavy for 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 a melodic death metal band. There weren't any like cheesy synthy bits or, or or keyboards. Well, they were they had keyboards, but the keyboards fit with what they were doing. It all mm. felt it felt very uh, it had a very oppressive atmosphere, but it was it was also quite catchy. Um, which is 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 unusual. And as you say, uh, Demon Steeler is just he's a very a very um, sort of um, uh, engaging front person. Um, he's he's quite funny um, and he's also incredibly polite. He's so understated. He's quite a little guy as well, and he just has has quite a posh accent. And was 
And he seemed absolutely amazed how into it the crowd was. Like, as I say, he had like the politest asking for like crowd surfers and having a mosh pit I've ever seen of, of bands. It was, it was kind of amazing. Like, I really, he was like, super charming between songs, and I think that really won people over. If you're not aware, he has an amazing YouTube channel as well called Headbangers Kitchen, and he's also a brilliant chef as well as being the main songwriter for Demonic Resurrection and his solo project, uh, Demon Stealer. And, like, this all just translated live, and he was just so charming and engaging and so happy to be here, despite having to have made the effort to come all the way from India. Like, it... And the set was just really tight, really brilliantly performed. Like, it was a shame we had to leave the festival after this point, but that was absolutely amazing to watch, and that was, like, a real nice point for us to end it, because... Yeah, I don't think I would have enjoyed anything after that much more. That set was just really, yeah. really perfect. So we should just say, like, Bloodstock's an amazing event. It's been a real constant in the UK now for years and years. Like, I think it was Evergrey mentioned earlier in the day they'd played it back when it was um, just in, in, a, in a, like, a local village hall kind of thing. Um, I'd like, or whatever it was as the indoor venue. Um the the staff who organise it are fantastic. With stuff like Metal to the Masses, they are doing a huge service to the UK scene, getting smaller bands out there, getting the name known, and then like you know, as bands go on, booking them for the the bigger stages and bringing them to a bigger audience. It's so good to have a proper weekend camping festival that is exclusively metal, but also very enough. There's something great for everyone to go along to. You get really I often meet a lot of friends there who we have very little overlap in music taste. Like, a lot of friends who are into, like, folk and power metal will find, like, loads of great bands to see there. Like, so we've covered, what, like, 25 or so bands today. You could have quite easily seen none of these and had a really good festival watching loads of bands. There's so much stuff we've missed. Like, you know, Nightwish ended up uh, headlining the Sunday, and I'm, I'm that was a huge draw for people. Um... Yeah, and the the sound staff do a fantastic job there. Like you can see them often working in some pretty adverse situations to get stuff going. It's just a really and the, the festival because they've done this great thing of they got it working efficiently, like really efficiently about five years back. I think very near perfect in the the amount of everything there, all the kind of facilities, the way the stage is set up, etc. And then just capped the. The amount of people are allowed to come there. And it's kept it as this like perfect little ecosystem of a festival where it's just always super friendly. It's always really fun. You never find yourself waiting for anything too long. Like, And they have a great range. Of, they always get a great range of food stands in there to yeah. the point where, you know, a lot of festivals you're warned to avoid food poisoning and be very careful what you eat. Here, you go around the place going, oh, I really hope I, I have time to eat at that one over the course yeah. of the weekend. Um always well stocked in beer and so on like it's just a really brilliant package and like i'm super grateful to the the staff of bloodstock who put this on and keep the uk on the map as being a great live destination for for music and it, it's in direct composition with like say brutal assault on the czech republic which always has mind-blowing lineups but mm. th there's enough going on at bloodstock that 
the, they, it's always going to fill out with people. Like, I think this year was completely sold out well they beforehand. Always, they tend to put on um, slightly less well-known, really interesting bands as well. Um, and it's always yeah. really great to check them out. Like Bands from all over the world we had this year. Well, that's the thing. Like I think with a lot of this stuff, you often go there and you feel like you're seeing bands ahead of the curve. Like So like, there's a couple on this list I think are going to blow up in the near future. Conjurer and Alien Weaponry particularly come to mind. And it's great to see them in a setting... With a huge crowd just before like their popularity absolutely skyrockets. Um, yeah, so another wonderful year from it. I'll be surprised if I'm not going along next year and many following years in the future. Um, yes, yeah, so um, let's know what you think. I think like we occasionally do these like completely live review sets. So this is if, if this is something you're into or you know you'd like us to break it up a bit more, let us know. Um, Contact us at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, or Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook. Like, let us know what you think. Uh, also, yeah, if you, you know, if you went to different festivals this year, tell us about them. Let, let us know which ones are really good, because, like, I do Bloodstock most years, but I don't go to a huge amount other than a few indoor ones. Like, over the summer, what else is really good? Like, are there great American equivalents? Um, yeah, or, like all over Europe or the rest of the world like yeah let us know what you've really enjoyed to play us out for this episode we're going to play uh, A Tragedy Befallen from Demonic Resurrection I saw the world
Immortal sin I'm making my 